What we're going to read now follows directly on from what Jesus said last week around division and conflict within the local church, within the family of believers. And so Jesus has just given one of his most practical teachings. Uh, he, has, he has quite literally just said uh, to his friends, if there is conflict and sin in the church, here's how you face it. Uh, so this is really, really significant. Right after that, here we are. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything out of pity for him. The Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave came as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. He then went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Hard. Father, we ask you to give us the courage to sit with this very provocative teaching of Jesus. We pray that we would hear, God, what your heart intent is toward us as we struggle with forgiveness. God, I pray that you would help us to hear today and to think clear thoughts about this. What is forgiveness? What isn't forgiveness? What does it mean, God? We pray that you would help us. God, we pray that you would help us as much as we're able to come to you with curious, inquisitive hearts to hear from you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week we looked at those words before, those words around sin in the church, words that exhorted us to not be conflict-avoidant people, but rather to go to places where we have been sinned against, where we've been hurt, and to um, work for and fight for reconciliation and healing. Uh, last week, I think we were able to see in the text that Jesus is not about kicking people out of church. That's unfortunately what some people take from those words right before these words. Rather, I think knowing our tendency to break relationship with one another, what Jesus was doing is putting a number of speed bumps in front of us to say, before you run away from one another, do these things. Hope for and work for healing and reconciliation. And he says that because relationships are hard. So in light of that hard thing of kind of holding our feet to the fire, asking us to not break relationship, but to learn how to confront sin and to forgive one another, Peter asks a question. And I find it really telling that the first words out of the disciples' mouths after Jesus is teaching are not, 
that's awesome. Thank you. So good. I've been waiting my whole life to hear this. Peter asked the technical question. He's like, so how many times do I have to do this? Seven times? And Jesus responds to him and he says, 77 times, or some translations, 70 times seven, which is like, I don't know, mathematicians, 400 and something. But make no mistake about it. Jesus is not saying on the 78th time, you're totally good to go. What he's doing is he's reframing the stakes of forgiveness. He's actually saying, I want you to do this over and over and over again. And what this reminds us of at the very beginning, when Peter asked this question, which is like, how many times am I going to have to do this? And Jesus says, more than you want. What he's really saying in that moment is that forgiveness is a process. And so many of us live under this illusion that if we could just make the choice to forgive, it should just be done, you know, like that forgiveness is a one and done thing. And then we wonder why we feel the effects of the weight of unforgiveness in our bodies and in our souls and in our relationships where people show up and we feel like triggered and we feel all this stuff. I think what happens to us is what Jesus was trying to get Peter to see, which is this is really hard work. And then our instinct is to ignore and avoid and act like it's not hard work. And then we live the reality of broken and impaired relationships. So when Jesus says 70 times seven or 77, what he's saying is this is a process. It's why those words in the very end where he says, if you do not forgive from your heart, it's not enough just to forgive in a transactional way from our heads. This is a heart thing, y'all. This is like a thing that gets to the, the core of what scares us and what makes us feel unsafe. This gets to the core of like our lived experience. Forgiveness is hard work. But before we get into this story that Jesus tells, we have to actually understand what the term means. Forgiveness is not purely emotional. It's not purely transactional. Actually, it's a, it's a, it's a cancellation of debt. So forgiveness, and y'all, a lot of us struggle with forgiveness because the message that we've been taught in our families and in our culture is that if we forgive, we're really saying that whatever happened wasn't all that big of a deal. I mean, a lot of us make this mistake. Someone asks for your forgiveness and then you say, oh, it's no big deal. You know, it's like the worst thing you can say when someone actually musters the courage to ask you to forgive them is it's no problem. Because what you're saying then is like, it really, there isn't anything there to deal with. And so often our conflict avoidance causes us to minimize hurts and injuries. And then we just say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But the reality is there's a whole nother operating system at play in us that's saying it's not fine. Forgiveness means you are owed something. It's a legal term. It's like a court term. It means you are owed something and the person who owes you cannot actually give you what you need to be whole again. So rather than minimizing the injury, what Jesus is doing is he's like naming it for what it really is. He's saying when you're owed something that the person who owes you cannot pay you back, you have a couple of options. You can grind it out with them. You can pretend it's nothing. Or you can say, this is really something and I'm going to release you because you do not have the ability to repay me. Do you notice how that's not saying this was not a big deal? 
Like that's not saying, oh, it really didn't matter. There's no, no problem. You're actually saying it matters so much that you can't make me whole. That's why there's a difference between forgiving and excusing. That's why forgiveness is not synonymous with saying it wasn't a big deal. It's actually saying it is a big deal. Now, we know in relationships that it, there's a lot of gray in relationships, right? Like two people get into a conflict with one another. There are two sides to a story. Somebody was having a bad day. They said something careless. I mean, this happens all the time in relationships. There's almost always something to excuse. But after you've excused everything that can be excused and there's still an, un, an inexcusable space, that's where forgiveness comes in. And it's scary work to begin forgiving. But I want to tell you, Jesus lives in real places and he wants us to live in real places. And that means there's some stuff that we need to seek forgiveness for. And there are things that we must forgive. And it's not the same thing as saying it wasn't a big deal. It doesn't even require that we enter into relationship with someone with whom we're tasked to forgive. Sometimes it would be a fool's errand to go back into a relationship with someone who's betrayed you. So you just need to hear, neither me nor Jesus are asking you to do that today. But what we are asking, and what I believe God is asking, is to say, what are you owed and who can pay? Who can make you whole? And this is a moment where Christian teaching has something to say about reality about our lives, about who owes us and what we owe. Let's hear from C.S. Lewis. I mean, not literally, he's not here. He's dead. Um, in an essay that he wrote about the difference between forgiving and excusing, and I, I, you should Google it. It's in an essay collection called God in the Dock, uh, but you can find it on lots of blogs. People have copied and pasted. I actually think it was copied and pasted probably with some typos in here. It's not our, our people's fault. It's probably whoever blogged it first. Lewis says, but the trouble is that what we call asking God's forgiveness, so now we're thinking about ourselves, very often really consists in asking God to accept our excuses. What leads us into this mistake is the fact that there's usually some amount of excuse, some extenuating circumstance. So we're very anxious to point these things out to God. I do this all the time and to ourselves that we're apt to forget the very important thing. That is the bit left over, the bit which excuses don't cover, the bit which is inexcusable, but not, thank God, unforgivable. And if we forget this, we'll go away imagining we've repented and have been forgiven when all that really has happened is that we've satisfied ourselves with our own excuses. They may be very bad excuses, but we're all too easily satisfied about ourselves. So first I wanna turn the light toward us. I believe the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people that recognize that we owe him as humans a debt which we cannot pay. It's fundamental to Christian understanding is that we're sinful and that we cannot be whole and make it right. We fall short. And too often, the reality for us in relationships is that with God, we have reasons for our behavior, but with other people, their reasons don't satisfy us. I want God to accept all my reasons, but when you sin against me, I want you to like make it right, pay the price. 
we tend to do this in all of our relationships as it relates to God and one another. So let's, let's look at the characters and let's look at this very provocative story. So the characters in understanding who the characters are in this very provocative story, very important. One master, it's God. And God in this story is looking to settle accounts, okay? The person who owes a large debt, this story only works if you are that person. If that person sitting next to you is that person and not you, this story is not going to work. So what Jesus is wanting all of us to see is that we are the person who owes the large debt. It's the only way to hear this. It doesn't mean that someone else doesn't also owe a huge debt. They do, because if they're listening, this story's about them too. But you, for this story to work, have to be the person who owes the large debt. You have to hear that you're the I in this story. That's you. Next to that, the person who owes the lesser debt is everyone else. I am not saying the sin committed against you does not matter. It's just the purpose of the story is Jesus wanting us to see something from that one perspective first. So three things before we jump in. If we will receive this story as primarily being directed at us instead of someone else, we will benefit greatly. Number two, I'm asking you not to be distracted by words like slavery, prison, selling off possessions, because this story is a provocative story. Jesus is telling it in a provocative way in order to get us to see something real. And he's using provocative languages. Also, slavery in this story is horrible and yet very different from chattel slavery in this country, in our history. This is not racially driven. This is an economic story. And slavery in the Roman Empire was not racially driven, it was economically driven, meaning anyone could fall into hard times and find themselves in slavery. And then if you were able to pay your debts off, you would then be purchased out of slavery. There's no analogy in that regard to us subjugating people of color and dragging them to this country and taking away all their volition and their power. Jesus is not endorsing chattel slavery. And it's really important for us to hear that. He's telling us a story about a reality that everyone listening to him would have understood. If I go into hard times, I could become a slave. And then if I become a slave, I got to figure out how to get out of it or be forgiven. And then I won't be a slave again. That was not true for people who were brought here uh, and, and suffered as slaves. They couldn't just sort of work their way out of it. Jesus is telling us a descriptive story. He also abhorred this form of slavery. But it was a reality that would illustrate something that's really important. So I'm asking you to push through when it comes to the dramatic language in the text. And thirdly, I want you to see that judgment is a reality that we also need to hear at the end of this story that if we live by the sword, we'll die by the sword. But if we don't, if we learn a better way, we'll find freedom. That's the story Jesus is telling. So let's look at the story. Number one. An owner, a master, God is settling accounts. He's looking to settle accounts with his servants, with his slaves. There's a sense of reckoning in this story that God doesn't want debt to be owed indefinitely. And there are only two ways to deal with debt. It either has to be paid or it has to be forgiven. The point of this story is about forgiveness. So the preferred method of God when it comes to debts we owe is to forgive us. 
That's the story Jesus is telling. He's telling us a story about a God whose instinct is to forgive, but make no mistake about it. You owe God. When I imagine myself standing before a holy God, there is no scenario where I will not owe him things that I could never pay. The same is true for you. That is the fundamental, one of the fundamental understandings of human frailty and sin as it relates to a perfect God. That God is saying, you owe me. My preferred method is not that you pay back what you can't pay back. It's for me to forgive you. That's how God prefers to settle accounts. In the story Jesus tells, the owner is settling accounts and his preferred method is forgiveness. Number two, there's an indebted servant. Y'all, I cannot even express to you how much this guy owes. It's a fantastic amount. And by fantastic, I mean, it makes no sense. Herod the Great, who's a contemporary of Jesus, ruled all these territories. The entire rents for all of his territories, 900 talents. This guy owes more than all the territory. So do you understand this is meant to be fantastical? It's absurd. It's everyone listening would have laughed and said, oh, that's crazy. This guy is owing something he cannot ever make right. Who are we meant to identify with this, with in this story? This guy. If we live under the illusion that we can make it right, Jesus would say that is in fact an illusion. He owes such a remarkable amount that he would never, ever pay it back. And here's the reality. He lies. He says, I'll pay it back. He knew he couldn't pay it back. The master knew he couldn't pay it back. His buddies knew he couldn't pay it back. The people that owed him some money knew he couldn't pay it back. Everybody knew this dude owed a level of resource that he did not have access to. It's very important to hear this. Jesus is making a point here. He is saying, you owe me something that you could never pay back. You cannot balance the scales. And I just want to say for Christianity to be real to you, for it to really matter, it cannot simply be a life enhancement program. We have to see that we owe something that we can never pay back. We can't balance the scales. So I just want to say if you are living under the illusion that if you just work hard enough, you can balance the scales, it, that will not work for you. And Jesus will be here when you discover that. Because his instinct is to say, I pardon you. I forgive you that which you cannot pay. That is fundamental to our understanding of what Jesus is saying and to the worldview with which we adhere to as Christians. Third movement, this servant owing a fantastical amount asks for mercy. We're told that the master experiences pity, that he experiences compassion, and that he cancels the debt. His instinct is to cancel the debt. It's too great. He cannot pay it back. And so this man is now free. He's been set free. He's been, is he less of a bad guy? Like, was it not a big deal? Was it just a big misunderstanding? No, it was a big deal. And the Lord looked at him and said, I pardon you. You don't have to carry that anymore. You're free. 
The fourth thing we see is that this forgiven servant struggles to forgive other people. This is where like talents and denarii, they don't make a lot of sense to us. So I'm going to help you by, by building a bridge to the ancient world of, uh, anti, uh, of ancient Near Eastern Semitic financial realities. So a denarii would be a day's wages. So he's owed how many denarii? A hundred. That's not, a, that's not nothing. So like a hundred days wages, just do the math in your brain if you're into that sort of thing and think that's what he was owed. But here's where we fall into trouble like this guy. The first amount, so big, no one could live under the illusion that you could pay it back. But this one, it, it would hurt. But you could probably figure out how to make that work. The guy is probably rationalizing, well, that guy's rich. I'm not rich. So I'd like this to be made right for me. And so as Jesus is telling us a story, it's telling to me that the forgiven servant actually is owed something that hurts. It's significant. It's not a nothing. But it's just small enough that he could buy into the lie that if he really tightened the screws down, he could make that person do the right thing. It's a stretch, but if he really cared, he could make this thing right. This is where we live 90% of our relational life. If she really cared, she could make those changes. If he really cared, if he really paid attention, he could figure it out. And listen, I'm not absolving you from your need to move toward repentance. That's actually not what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is when that instinct is there to hold it out, we run into dangerous places. So he's struggling to forgive and other people witness it. Other people see the bitterness. They see the violence. They see the anger. They see all of that. And then an accountability circle kind of forms around him. Y'all, Jesus is attempting to get us to see our sin as forgiven debt in order to transform our view of the debts that are owed to us. And y'all, the debts that are owed to you are real. They're real. They're meaningful. But so often what we do is we hold out unforgiveness and what happens in the process is that we become less free as well as mystically some of those people they might be less free I don't understand all of that I know the the me parts I know the the weight that we carry when we don't know how to forgive and some of us are carrying weights into this room and we've been we've been hesitant to forgive because we thought well that means I'm saying it wasn't a big deal or if I don't hold this out, then no one's going to make me whole. These are real struggles. These are real challenges. And one of the things Jesus is trying to get us to see is that there is in his mystical economy a freedom that comes to us, a lightness that comes to us when we begin to release people from debts that they cannot pay. And remember, it's a process. And remember, it doesn't mean that that person that wronged you, that betrayed you, that hurt you, didn't actually do those things. When we forgive, we're actually saying the debt that I'm owed is so great that I, I cannot expect payment from you. You cannot make me whole. In this story, only one party can make people whole. And so Jesus is trying to get us to see our own 
freedom, our own freedom and forgiveness, receiving forgiveness as an impetus for us to say, God, what do we do and how do we release people who cannot pay us? How do we forgive from our hearts? I think forgiveness is like peeling an onion. Um, I'm, a, I'm an onion crier. I don't know if you are. Uh, some of us can peel onions with impunity, you know, just like no problems. Uh, onions are like torture for me. And so I just, life hack, uh, I bought a $7 pair of lab goggles and I get made fun of all the time in my house. They're in a drawer and I can peel onions all day long because I just have, they're big enough. They fit over my glasses. My children, my wife make fun of me and I can just like, there is no life hack for forgiveness. There are no lab goggles that will make this not hurt. This is why Jesus mentioned 70 times seven or 77. It's a process. It happens over and over again. And like peeling an onion, your eyes sting. And every time you peel a layer, it's a smaller onion. But we have to be willing to hang with it in the assurance that when we do, we will be made lighter somehow. I remember a number of years ago, Emmanuel Colini preached here at Trinity. He was the Archbishop of Rwanda in the uh, aftermath, the immediate aftermath of the genocide. And those of you who are old enough probably remember that in the mid-90s, a million Rwandans killed um, a million Rwandans uh, over the course of the summer. And it was horrifying. Uh, and they didn't do it with weapons of mass destruction. They did it uh, with machetes and, and hatchets and an Anglican priest invited Tutsi uh, people to flee into his church, locked the doors of the church, set it on fire, killed all of them. The sin just went everywhere. Uh, another bishop said it was as if the devil of hell were wandering the streets of Kigali. It was a demonic, horrible time. And Kolini, who was Ugandan-born but um, connected to a border nation to Rwanda, had Tutsi descent in him. And he would go into the prisons and sit with Tutsi survivors who had murdered in retribution. See, Rwanda is a, a tribal place, and so you couldn't just up and move, or you didn't. So people, Hutu and Tutsi people would live next door, generationally live next door, and you had a relative who would kill a relative, and then that person's relatives would then, after the genocide, kill in return. It was just a vicious cycle of violence. And Colini went into the prisons and he said to his Tutsi offenders now, as long as you carry the pain of unforgiveness, the weight of that person is on your back. And in a way that only he could say it, he would say, they're heavy. You can't carry it. And some of us are literally dying under the weight of a person or persons that we haven't known what to do with. And some of us have rationalized it and said, no, I have forgiven, but the weight on your back would tell you something else. What do we do with the weight? In that sense, this kind of forgiveness is as much about us as it is about anything because God wants you to be free so that he can work with that other party. He's actually able to do that. He wants you to be free. And the story that Jesus is telling is a story about naming reality and seeing our sin forgiven so that we can release people from the burden of trying to make us whole when they cannot make us whole. And I must say that 
takes time. A number of years ago, I think it was in 2019, Jason Faulkner, who's our pastoral care leader, and Amy Winkle, who's the new rector, uh, senior pastor at Emmanuel on the other side of town, they did a seminar on forgiveness. And that seminar, I've listened to it, I've read the notes uh, multiple times. We're going to repost that to our podcast thread uh, starting tomorrow. So if you access our podcast content, uh, you'll see the sermon and then you'll see this seminar. And I would encourage you to listen to it because... Forgiveness is a process, and it is a difficult process, but it is one that Jesus calls us to engage. And in that engagement, you will be made free. The relationship that's broken may not survive, but you will be made free. Jesus will work. So here's a question I want us to hold. What is stirring in you as you consider this teaching from Jesus? And I want to be clear, this is Jesus' teaching. Jesus is saying something to us. Where do we sense an invitation and where do we sense resistance? I think this week it would be good for you and me for us to journal about this. This is not like a quick reflection. So if you want to take a picture, you can. I think there's an invitation for us. And here's what I just want to say that The hurt and the betrayal that has resulted in unforgiveness, that's been cooking in us for a long time. So forgiveness sometimes takes a long time. It needs to cook. If the hurt has cooked, the forgiveness will need to cook. It will need to take time. That's what Jesus was saying about process here. So I want to invite you to be courageous I want to invite you to be curious about your own life and your own story. I want to invite you to listen to that lecture uh, seminar from Jason and from Amy. If we're able, let's stand together. Let's be still just for a moment as we can contemplate this teaching from Jesus and and reflect upon the places where we've sinned. And let's just take a moment for silent meditation, contemplation, and confession before God. And then we'll pray. We'll come to communion. But first, let's be still in contemplation, confession.